last week we looked at the same verses we're going to look at a, a, a few minutes today. Let me read, this is John chapter 10. Uh, let me read just a few words here from uh, John 10, 22 and following. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. Remember, that's Hanukkah, when, memorializing when the polluted temple was cleansed, made new. The word dedication is to make new. Uh, the temple during the Maccabean period was completely uh, sacrilegiously destroyed. You know, because Antiochus Epiphany from Syria, Antiochus Epiphany had come and sacrificed pigs. Now, we eat pigs, and we sacrifice some pigs to, uh, to barbecue them, eat them, but uh, the, in the Jewish economy, the pig is an absolutely unclean animal, and God uh, forbade the use of, of pigs to eat or certainly to sacrifice. And that's exactly why Antiochus Epiphanes, um, in, in the period of something like 160 B.C., came in to, to uh, degrade, to degrade, to abuse, to shock the Jews and, and show how much he hated them and how much power he had over them. He'd subjugated them. But sometimes that subjugation creates backlash, and the Maccabeans had a great revolt, and God blessed them with victory. They drove out the pagans and rededicated the temple, which is a gorgeous picture of what salvation is. And uh, we believe clearly that John is uh, showing us that here is Jesus coming as the one to rededicate what was meant for God to clean it and make it new so that it can be used for God's glory once again. And that is you and I, saved by the Lamb of God who's coming in this process to come to Jerusalem uh, to be our sacrifice, to be our, our, our Redeemer, my blessed Redeemer, uh, our Savior, our friend. So at, at, the, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him. Now, over the last many chapters in John, if you keep the, the literature in its context, uh, which is what we should do, You'll you know, you go back into chapter 5 and 6, etc. Straight on forward to this time, uh, it's been a, a story of contention, really a huge argument between the enemies of Jesus and Jesus. And everything that's been, it's been going back and forth between them, this long argument that, that occurred over several, several occasions. But John, the author, records it for us. And here they're, they're coming again. They've, they've already decided they're going to kill him. John's told us that very clearly. They're not here to get information. They're not here to actually honestly find out about Jesus. They're only here to try to catch him, to discredit him, uh, to 
show that whatever he is saying is horrible and wrong. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. I'm preaching from the ESV, English Standard Version, which is the version I, I prefer. But, and I have the one published in 2007. Some of you may have one that's published more recently than that, because I found that in the more recent ones, in my electronic version, which I actually study from, uh, they've gone back to a more literal reading of the Greek here. Because you are not part of my flock is translated because you are not among my sheep. Okay, so that's the literal Greek there. Sheep, plural. You're not among my sheep. My sheep, and that's important for this context. I think they were right to go back to a more literal reading because it, it gives Jesus this opportunity to make this great contrast. The reason you don't believe is you are not a part of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They believe. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. I love that. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, now Jesus will expand on that several times over John 17, he uses that same language, um, that the, the church, the group of sheep, are a gift from God the Father to God the Son. We are the bride of Christ. Is that an airplane or weather? I think it's an airplane. Maybe crashing in the weather. Who knows? <laughs> not that that would, that's not funny. I'm sorry. Um, we are the bride of Christ, and the bride is a tremendous gift to the groom. And, of course, in this case, the groom needs to do all this work to clean up the bride, to make the bride spotless and without blemish. Um, the, my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. Now, I hope by God's grace that these words will just be just be imprinted on our minds and our whole souls. The Father is greater than all. The Father is greater than all forces. Uh, any contention, any illness, any problem, any demon, any terrorist, any bomb, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He's greater than all. I think one of the biggest problems with Christianity, honestly, is that our God is shrunk. You know, we forgot how big he is. And we come up with all these explanations why he's not as big as he appears to be in the Bible. So we dumb down the Bible constantly. Like, well, certainly he could not have created the world by speech. I mean, nobody's that powerful. Obviously, it took uh, 40 billion years. Let's make it 100 billion years. Why not? Um, I, I don't know. 
I just believe in this God who's so awesome, who can say, let there be light, and there was light. You know, earth, all the universe, boom, there. Uh, to me, that's super exciting. Um, he's greater than all. Imagine the greatest and go bigger. <laughs> can I quote Buzz Lightyear? To infinity and beyond. <laughs> that's a big joke, you know. <laughs> we watch these movies and we don't think. You can't go beyond infinity, Buzz Lightyear. And those wings don't work. You are not flying. <laughs> You're falling. <laughs> Uh, yes, indeed. But that's God. He is really the one to infinity and beyond. He's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them. Contention. There's enemies. There's thieves hovering around that want to grab your wallet. They want to snatch your camera. You know, put your wallet in your front here. Keep it safe because you're in a den of thieves. And, and the glory here is the power of God is that he, he can't be overcome. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. There's a double-handedness here. In the hands of Jesus, in the hands of God the Father, he's taken us by hand. I'm, I'm trying to develop a few of these thoughts before I get into my outline, like I always do, because sometimes I actually <laughs> don't get into it <laughs> in my outline too well. But I just want you to marvel over these, this language, right? That God is greater than all, and we're in his hand. You know, what do you say? Like, let's, let's say that you are hoping, um, let's say you're hoping to buy a house and you put an offer on the house and, and let's just pretend that, say, your wife has to travel and she's away for five weeks or something and she calls you and says, well, did you hear anything, you know, from the bank, from the real estate agent, right? You might say, honey, I've got the keys in my hand. They're mine. We've got the house. It's ours. I've got the keys right in my hot little hand. Right? That's, it's possession. It's closeness. It's ownership. It's security. I've got it right here in my hand. It's right here. It's not a hope. It's real. And, and so this interesting metaphor that Jesus brings out here, that we're, we're held in the hand of God. We're close to him, and his hand is greater than all. I and the Father are one. See, Jesus and the Heavenly Father are one. There's one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus is claiming absolute equality with God, which in the Jewish economy is blasphemy if you're not God. And so uh, we're familiar with blasphemy. You know, I, I think, you know, when I was like 10, blasphemy seemed like a Bible word. I mean, a word that's only used in the Bible, right? But nowadays, right, you, you, li you listen to the news. It's always on the news. There's a, uh, several people in Pakistan right now 
accused of blasphemy. Uh, they're in prison because of uh, somebody said, well, they blasphemed the prophet. Uh, they blasphemed Muhammad. And so they, they're in prison for blasphemy. They might be executed for blasphemy. So it's a lot closer than it once was. And here is the issue. Jesus is on the verge of being executed for blasphemy. They understood him very clearly to be saying, I am God. I and the Father are one. And, and so here it is, see, in the text. Um, we're not going to get into all this today. I'm leaving this for another time. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Uh, Jesus answered, I've shown you many good works uh, from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, it is not for a good work they were going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. It's, if he's more than a man, he, he's God. And he, we're in the hands of this powerful being. Let's pray. Father, as we spend a few minutes thinking about the glorious word that you've given us, we pray that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, that you would embolden us, make us confident in you alone, and help us to want to proclaim this good news, to believe it, to tell others of this wonderful reality. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Help me, I pray, amen. So I'm going to do a kind of a survey of some of the information that we've already been looking at in John. And, and this is the idea I want you to think about. If you think about the Gospel of John, a lot of times we kind of uh, just scoop the, screen, the cream off the top of it, you know, and just kind of go for the beautiful, nice stuff, which uh, there's plenty of it, you know? Uh, and we, we don't keep it in context. And I, I've been kind of laboring away, hopefully, hopefully you've been getting it, that, you know, I'm trying to work this thing through as John actually wrote it, as Jesus experienced it, and it's in this context of opposition and confrontation and a constant kickback against Jesus. And what does Jesus keep doing in, in the middle of all of this contention? What does he keep doing? It is this, out of contention, hope. In, out of the contentious argument, Jesus preaches the gospel. That's why it's, it's such a wonderful, glorious book, because Jesus preaches the gospel when given the opportunity, when he, he is pushed against, he uses that opportunity to preach the good news, the glorious, wonderful news. And there's many ways to think about it, but go, let's go back to chapter 6, and hopefully you can follow through and read some of these with me. Chapter 6. Remember, Jesus designed an experience for his followers. What did he design for them? Well, he decided, you know, to send them to a, a theme park. It was Disneyland, and everything was happy until one of them got measles, and that was a problem. <laughs> no, he, he didn't send them to Disneyland. He didn't send them to Disney World. He sent them out on a boat to experience a horrendous storm. It's like, what are you thinking? 
You're threatening our lives here. That, that scared us to death out there. It says, when evening came, this is verse 16, chapter 6, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and the other gospels make this very clear. He forced them to do this. He told them to go out to do this and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, this is, you know, against the storm. Can you imagine going out into this bay in a rowboat, rowing for three or four miles? This is hours and hours they're out there. They saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. You know, they thought he was a ghost. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. And it's really the, kind of a theme of the book of John. In the, in the storm, in the contention, in the trouble, in the times when we're going, oh Lord, please. He speaks into that, the good news, which is, I am, don't be afraid. And John introduces the language that he'll be developing in his gospel. When it says, it is I, the Greek here, and I'm not going to teach you a whole lot of Greek, but there's a little, little Greek here to learn, and that is, you've already heard me say this several times, ego emi. It is I. I am. Remember later, and I'm going to quote this a little later, but when he said, before Abraham was, I am, that's the same exact phrase, ego emi. Why is it? It's edgy. One time I got received a great uh, compliment. It was, it was sort of half-hearted. Uh, In fact, it was supposed to be an insult. Uh, somebody said, you try to make the Bible edgy. Uh, actually, no. I'm just trying to not hide the fact that it really is edgy. This is edgy when John says, ego emi, uh, the, the quote from Jesus, I am, don't be afraid, because Jesus is using the language of the Old Testament when God said, I am that I am. I am the eternal existing, greater than all God. And you can trust me in the worst times. That's when you need the God who's greater than all. That's when you need him. And so he says, ego ami me fa besta. May means do not, fabesta, don't freak out, don't have a phobia attack, fabesta, it's a command. It is I, do not be afraid, hold on to your faith, hold on to the truth that's bigger than your circumstances. It is I, do not be afraid. Out of this contentious argument, out of the storm, Jesus preaches the good news, the gospel. When do we need strong, true comfort? When do we actually need it? When we're in trouble. Uh, we need strong and true. We don't need empty promises. We don't need uh, false encouragement. I mean, if you're like me, I'd rather not receive false compliments, right? No, no, you, you look fine. 
<laughs> I don't look fine. You know, uh, no, that was okay. No, it really wasn't okay. Uh, you're, not, you're not fooling me, right? I know this is not true. Uh, but see, Jesus, when he says, do not be afraid, I am, I exist, I'm real, you can trust me that that is strong and true comfort. When will trouble come? And I say always and often. <laughs> uh, it was one of Job's friends, Eliphaz, who said, I mean, it's in, it's in Job chapter 5. Job is right before the book of Psalms. Job chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground, but man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. You know, I, I wish the Bible said, if you believe in Jesus, then your life will just turn out really, really nice, and you're going to live this like super happy life, and when you get turned to 90, after living a totally successful life in a beautiful home with no trouble, and all your kids were safe and healthy all of that time, uh, when you turn 90, boom, you'll go to heaven, that's it. <laughs> you won't be sick, and <laughs> you won't feel old and grumpy, uh, you'll be happy and perfect. Does the Bible say that? No. That, that is a false truth teaching. You know, a lot of people actually teach that. It probably fills pews. You know, like, you can have your best life now. <laughs> well, the Bible says you will not have your best life now. Uh, Jesus says in this world you will have trouble. John 16. We'll get to that. You will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When will trouble come? It, it comes always and often. We need hope. We need a firm foundation of the gospel. So let's look at how John has presented this for us in the good news. The good news is Jesus, and it's kind of shadowy there, but we're going to bring light to out of all of those shadows. Just as a quick kind of survey of what John's told us in the middle of this contentious argument. Back in John 6 is where we really got into this argument. Look at John 6, uh, 35. We already were in John 6. In John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He himself is the means to satisfy our hunger and our thirst. He's the one who really satisfies He's the one who has the capacity in himself to meet our needs in the midst of extremely trying circumstances or whenever. Look at verse 48. I am the bread of life. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He is the bread of life. Look at this. He satisfies our thirst. Back in John 4, this is introduced, uh, John 4, 13 and following, Jesus said to her, remember the woman at the well, 
Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He was talking about regular water. Like, I think I'll have a little drink here as an illustration. I'll never have to drink again. <laughs> no, I will, right? My, this is one of my little jokes in life, right? But my, my son sent me a picture from a Costco in, in Chicago, by the way. And it, it's, it's some, I, I don't remember the brand name, but let's just say Hagar. Hagar Ultimate Slacks. It's like, they've, they've finished it. They made the best slacks ever now. We can shut down everything. You buy this, the last slacks you'll ever need. They, they expand, they shrink, they wear perfectly. No, <laughs> they'll last, a, you know, six months, and you'll probably need some more. So Jesus is saying, you can drink this water, and you will be thirsty again. But Jesus is a different kind of water. He's not a, about uh, H2O. He's the spiritual satisfaction. And the reality is, this is a glorious reality. If, if this were the last bit of water I ever got to drink, and I died, you know, sometime subsequent to this point, really quickly, <laughs> Jesus would have, he satisfied my thirst forever. You can't take that promise away from me. And you can rest assured that the sheep of Jesus have that perfect water, not muddied, but perfect supply of water. So again, I'm, I'm reading from 4.13 real quick here. Everyone who, who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. These aren't empty promises of a whacked, insane spiritual guru who actually was, you know, amassing billions of dollars, ripping off people. No, th th this, this is the Jesus who's saying these things in truth. If you take me, you will never be thirsty again. Whoever drinks, and it's a gospel, whoever. You know, the people in Taiwan, the people in Jordan, the people in Monterey, the people in Seaside, whoever. All, all people, all ethnicities, uh, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, it, it's not something you earn. I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then look at John 7:37, the theme of water again. Uh, this is a really cool one because it's a uh, long context, which you won't get into, but Jesus is at one of the big feasts on the last day of his feast, the great day. Jesus stood up and cried out, you know, obviously very loud, drawing attention to himself. He's very confident. Jesus has unlimited self-confidence. Right? And it's not just something he, you know, got because he stuck a happy saying on his mirror that he reads every morning, like, you're really great, and everything you do is really awesome, and you deserve a Jaguar, and, uh, you know, uh, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, Jesus didn't look in the mirror and try to pump up his confidence. <laughs> he inherently is, ultimately, the one who is greater than all. You know, so he says... He says, 
Look what he says. On the great day of the feast, verse 37, on the last day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he satisfies our thirst. He is the light of the world. Look at uh, John 8, the next chapter, John 8, 12. He is the light of the world. Again, this is the, this is the beautiful gospel that he preaches in the midst of this contentious argument. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever, is there a theme there? Whoever, absolutely. This is the gospel, all of us. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now I have a question for you. Is this true categorically? Is it a, true across the board? You know right now, there are, there are terrors in this world. There are Christian brothers and sisters in prison in Pakistan. I already mentioned them. I have some contact with pastors in Lahore, uh, right on the border with India there. And they were, anyway, it's a long story, but they contact me and tell me things going on. And there's huge, horrible persecutions there. One of the tricks that the uh, Muslims play constantly on the Christians is to accuse them of blaspheming the prophet or perhaps burning a page of the Quran. And, and it's, it's just like a letter. It's like an Alexander Dumas novel, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo, if you're familiar with it. Uh, uh, an anonymous letter is written against Dante's, Edmund Dante's. You know, he's, he is with Napoleon. He's supporting Napoleon, and it ends up a long story, wonderful, amazingly well-written book. And he ends up in prison because of that. Well, people are there in reality in Pakistan. You know, there's a horror in North Korea, one of the, the largest concentration camps in the world. We don't even know how many people are there, but there's many, many people, you know, digging in the ground for a worm to eat, and they're there because they're Christian. That's why they're there. Is this truth there? Yes, it is. They have the light of the world. It's true wherever and whenever. And you and I, we don't know, you know, what the future holds. We don't know. But if, if ever we're cast in such a place, know these things. Hold on to them. They are true regardless of your circumstances. Jesus is the light of the world. Verse 8 and 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. In the midst of the hole, in the darkness, the gospel is true. The light is there. So Jesus is the light of the world. This is the good news. This one's really cool. Sorry. <clears throat> I'm going to need more water. <laughs> um, 
He is the everlasting God. I already mentioned this. I told you I'd get to this. Look in chapter 8 still. You could call chapter 8, a friend of mine called it, oh, that's the I am chapter. Absolutely. The ego and me. Ego means I. Ami is the verb to be. I, I am. It's a direct, literal, wooden translation of that Greek phrase. And here it is in 858. Uh, let's read a little of it. And again, in the contentious argument, when, when things are just nasty, that's when the gospel shines forth beautifully. Uh, your father rejoiced. Your father Abraham, see verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. You know, by, by faith, Abraham saw the Messiah in some way that we can't understand because we have this great privilege of reading all about it. You know, we have the word. Uh, but by faith, Abraham saw forward and he rejoiced and he was glad that God would keep his promise. He's the father of faith. So the Jews said to him, ha, 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 you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus just rises right above that. He doesn't really enter into their low-level argument. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, you know, amen, amen, I say to you, before Abraham was ego and me. And the significance of that, dear friends, is that he is the everlasting God. He's the eternal God. He's absolutely the, the real God who exists forever. Uh, he's the antique, the ancient, the original, the essential. He's the ground of all being. He's the one who created E equals MC squared. And we can't even figure it out quite. I was at Stanford yesterday at a debate tournament. And some wise guy etched that into the cement. E equals MC squared. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's what you want to see at Stanford, etched in the cement, you know. Uh, you know, E, energy, equals mass uh, times the speed of light squared? What? I mean, does anybody understand that? Uh, maybe, sort of, kind of, but not really, right? Physics is just blows your mind. And why? You're looking at the, the nature of something God created is handiwork. And so when he says, I am, it is significant. He's the everlasting God. He is the door of the sheep. And now we're getting close to our, our passage, John 10. We looked at this a few times, verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, that's amen, amen, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. His sheep, it's a pre-existing condition. They're, they're chosen by God. They are his sheep. But they, they have to believe. They do respond. They believe. And they come through the door. He is the means. See verse 9 again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And uh, then next is he is the good shepherd. In chapter 10, verses 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 14, the same expression, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. 
Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the center of what we believe. Jesus gave himself for us. He substituted his life for ours. He took our death. He lays down his life freely. He gives himself for us. The sheep deserved death. We deserved death. We deserved the wrath of God. But Jesus takes it all for us. This is why he came. He said, Take, this is my body, which is for you. I came to save you. I came to be the good shepherd. As In contrast to all other shepherds, he is the good shepherd. And then finally, the good news is Jesus. The gospel is unbeatable security. And we live in an age where we're constantly reminded that the very brightest minds cannot create unbeatable security. Uh, we have an amazing um, Navy chaplain in town. His name is Lieutenant Commander uh, Nelson. And he, for a long time, worked at the NSA. Uh, and uh, kind of long story, which I'll leave you out of it, but um, he gave us a long lecture, two-hour lecture, about the NSA for our debate club, because that's what we're debating this year. And they said, well, how can you be sure? You know, the, how, how does that work? He says, well, the NSA has a habit of doing their best to getting the brightest and best and most intelligent Americans, you know, graduating out of the best universities, uh, you know, the, the Yales, the Harvards, the Columbias, et cetera, skimming off those amazing brains, those mathematicians, and hiring them, and their whole job is to make the internet secure, to make all of our information, our data, of, above the uh, attacks of, of, we have enemies, and con we're, we're, you know, these high-tech guys tell me, we're actually at war. It's constant war for data. We're not surprised about this, right? Uh, I got a notice from Anthem this week, my health care, by the way, your social security number probably got stolen. We're not sure how it happened, and we're really sorry, but it, you know, somebody has it. Um, see, Jesus is the ultimate security. You, you, you trust your soul to anything less, and it will absolutely fail you. It, it will fail you. And particularly, I don't mean to insult you, but if you trust your soul to yourself, you know, you have a fool for a lawyer. You, you cannot save yourself. Our security is in the fact that only Jesus can save us. That's why that last slide was so important. He is all those things. That's how he saves us. That's what, it, that's what we need. That's what we need. That's the kind of security level we need. The gospel is unbeatable security. And that's what Jesus is saying here in the, the chapter that I already read before. Let me read it again just a little bit here. Um, verse, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. 
and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We are his sheep. We belong to him. He gives us eternal life. You don't earn it. It's a gift. You could never earn it. It's a free gift of God. And it's eternal. It can't, it can't die. And Jesus will say later on, in fact, we'll get in the next chapter, if we have that opportunity. He says, whoever believes in me will live even if he dies. <laughs> you will die, but you live anyway. You will never die. We will never perish. There's, we should have no fear. Do not be afraid. I am. We can trust him. We cannot be snatched from his hand. Nothing can snatch you. He's greater than all. No demon, no, no dementia, uh, no problem, no, no uh, enemies, uh, no concentration camp, no prison cell. Nothing, nothing can separate us. We cannot be snatched from his hand. We are secure in Jesus' hand. Look with me then quickly at Romans chapter 8. Really, the word that is, should be on our hearts is love. Because God loves us. And nothing will separate us from the love of God. And let me read. This is uh, I, John, I mean, excuse me, Paul is an amazing author. This is always hard to interrupt, but let's interrupt him at John 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, this eternal God, greater than all, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He freely chooses to justify us. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? The persecution is violence. People who hate you, who pursue you, shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are secure. Our security is unbeatable. We are secure in the hand of Jesus and in the Father's hand. Jesus, this is Jesus, it says, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. 
you receive it freely, openly, without payment. You cannot pay for this. Now, once we receive it, we want to live for him. We want to serve him in any way possible. We're completely willing. We're sold out. We are his slave. But we know we can't buy the immensity of salvation. He gives us eternal life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that in this rolling, roiling, boiling argument, uh, confrontation and contention that is in John, that Jesus just keeps going back to the gospel and he preaches the gospel against the opposition even when it means he will die because he won't back down. Lord, thank you that he preached the gospel and we can hear it and that even that death that he died was the core of the gospel. It was required that he died for our sins and rose again in victory over what separated us from you forever. Thank you, Lord, for this. Lord, encourage us that even when our lives don't go as we had hoped, uh, that we will live in light of the gospel. We will want to love you and serve you and, and uh, to in, be encouraged and be comforted by this true and strong comfort. In the name of Jesus, amen.